Um, starting at verse 12, Philippians 1. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincere, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Well, morning, everybody. Uh, I wonder whether you've ever had that experience where simply getting through the day feels like mission impossible. Everything is difficult. Everything seems to go wrong. Or maybe sometimes when you look around the world and you put on the radio or you watch the television and you see the news and you see what's going on, you begin to wonder, Lord, where are you? King David uh, was having a moment like that when he wrote Psalm 13, when he said, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Well, I wonder if you noticed in uh, our reading this morning that Paul arguably had every reason to feel like that. You can see it in verse 12 where he talks about what has happened to me. And what has happened to him to get him to the place where he is, is that he's been the victim of false accusations. He's been beaten. He's been dragged away by an angry mob who nearly lynched him. Then his own people, the Jews, they've made all sorts of plots to kill him. And then he was taken off uh, to Rome. And while he was being transported, there was this massive storm and he was shipwrecked. Landed up on the island of Malta and he stayed there while things got sorted out before he was eventually taken to Rome, still in chains as a prisoner. And then placed under house arrest, which is where we find him today. And if you want to pick the story up, it's a great story of how the early church was spread. You can see it in Acts 21, uh, Acts chapter 21, right through to the end of the book at uh, chapter 27. But Paul had been having what you might perhaps humorously call a bad day at the office. And yet, this letter he writes from his incarceration is so full of joy, isn't it? Why was he so joyful? Why did he rejoice, verse 18? 
because despite all that that he'd been through, the gospel was advancing. However hard evangelism might feel today, however hard witness as a Christian might feel today for all of us, it might feel like mission impossible, but actually it's mission unstoppable. And that's the, the great title that Sparklight are using as they look through this wonderful uh, historical account in Acts of how the early church grew and grew despite all sorts of challenges. And it's a brilliant truth that we see coming out of the passage today as well. Despite the devil's best attempts, the spread of the gospel is unstoppable. So here's what I want us all to see from the passage this morning and a challenge for us to think through. In all circumstances, even when things seem a real mess, with confidence in Christ, live like Paul, rejoicing in the spread of the gospel. Well, let's uh, dig a little deeper and see how I came up with that summary. Uh, let's have a look, first of all, at Mission Unstoppable, verses 12 to 14. Now, you'll notice if you've got your Bible open in front of you, uh, that verse 12 begins with a little phrase, now I want you to know. And that's a phrase that Paul uses a number of times throughout all of his letters in the New Testament. And it means a little bit like uh, in the Gospels when Jesus said, truly, truly. It's a little phrase that means what I'm going to tell you now is important. So pin your ears back and pay attention. And what Paul wants us to see is that despite the plans of those who opposed him, those plans had not worked. The devil's plan has only been thwarted, not only been thwarted, but actually it's been completely turned over on its head. And that still happens today. I wonder if you know in which country in the world the church is growing fastest. Well, this time last year, Fox News, the uh, news broadcaster in America, reported that the gospel is growing, that the church is growing faster in Iran than anywhere else in the world. Now, if you have a look at so the Open Doors watch list, which is really interesting, it lists where it is most difficult to be a Christian. And Iran is in the top 10, I think for it might be seventh or eighth. It's a really tough place to be a Christian, where if you convert to Christianity from Islam, you risk arrest, imprisonment, torture, and possibly even death. You see, the devil will always seek to prevent the growth of the church. But he can't prevent it. Not in modern day Iran. Not in first century Philippi. And as we think about it, not in 21st century Britain. So how does the gospel advance then? Well, firstly, verse 13 uh, Paul's house arrest meant that he was exposed and uh, connected with lots of guards. 
you can kind of imagine the situation, can't you? The people who were looking after him to make sure that his uh, chains were secure and that he wasn't going anywhere that he shouldn't. And one shift would end and another group of guards would come in and there would be one kind of handover process. One would tell the other, this is what's happened on this shift, this is what you need to be aware of. And the next guard would settle in, keeping an eye on this troublesome Paul. But you can imagine over time that rather than just handing over the technical stuff, he's had his meal, I've cleaned his cell, whatever it might have been relevant, actually probably they didn't clean the cell, I would imagine, or where he was staying. But imagine the conversation, I'm picking stuff up about this guy, Paul. He's a bit different to the norm, you know. I mean, he seems to be really joyful all the time, despite everything that's happening to him. And he keeps on talking about this man, Jesus, who he follows. And whatever we do to him, however hard we treat him, his faith in this Jesus never wavers. There's something different and something special about him. Now, I can imagine that conversation between the guards buzzing around the guard room and, and then the guards going home and talking to their family and saying, oh, I don't normally talk about work at home, but he has this really strange guy, really different. And so Paul would become the talk of the town. And that's how we see in verse 13, it became clear that Paul wasn't in prison for a crime, but he was in prison for Christ. So the gospel spread throughout the guard. But notice secondly in verse 14, that as well as the gospel spread amongst the guards, it had an amazing effect on the members of the church family, the local Christians. Can you see what that was in verse 14? They dared all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. whether you've ever been afraid to say something for the gospel I know I have I've prayed for an opportunity to speak and then the opportunities come and I felt a real fear what will happen if I say it but you see the church there and we too need to learn this from the passage because look in verse 14 of where their bravery came from most of the believers gain their confidence, not in Paul, although he is a great example for us to follow. But confidence grew in the Lord. You see, Paul's example was a demonstration to them how even the toughest conditions couldn't prevent the gospel from spreading. Because it wasn't dependent on Paul. It wasn't dependent on the local church. It isn't dependent on us but the lord himself doing the work of causing the gospel to take effect friends all we need to do is dare to speak it and to share of our love in jesus he does the hard work of changing hearts in fact if you remember from uh, matthew chapter 16 jesus himself said that he would build his church didn't he do you remember and he said uh, that the, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. That was the source of confidence for the early church. Let me just step out from the passage just for a moment and 
by way of application, think this through a little. How could I use my circumstances for the advance of the gospel? Not, not by being pushy or preachy or weird towards people, but just being myself. Yes, admittedly, I'm still sinful as we all are. I go through moments of fear as we all do. I get nervous. But when I say being myself, I mean a bit like Paul, just loving the Lord so much, being so aware of his love for me, that my desire is just to speak more of him in a natural way, just to talk about my experience of the Lord Jesus. I wonder if you're struggling at all at the moment, whether your sadness or pain or anxiety or illness or just the fact that life is tough under COVID regulations. I wonder how those things could be used to point people to Jesus to share how he's helping you to deal with your own challenges. And if you're really struggling with these things, and it's totally understandable if you are, then ask yourself, where is my focus right now at this moment? Is it on me? I'll be all right, I can manage, I can cope. Or are you looking to Jesus? Are you trusting in Jesus? Are you turning to him in prayer in that moment? And if that's something that you'd like to think through a little bit more, or if you're really struggling, do feel free to get in touch with one of us on the staff team. We'd be very happy to meet with you and pray through some of these things with you. So the gospel was being proclaimed by local Christians. The gospel was advancing wonderfully. But in verse 15, we see the possibility of a little problem. And the problem was that it seems that the believers in the local church had mixed motivations. We see this verse 15 following. Now, it seems that there was no doubt uh, that the people Paul is referring to here, they're true Christians. He's not here focusing on false teachers or bad people trying to detract people away. But the, the thing he's trying to highlight is their motivation. Well, I can imagine that some of the folks in the local church were envious of Paul. Perhaps they'd been around quite a while in the church. People looked to them. They had a nice little place carved out where they were respected and known. And then Paul comes along and everybody starts looking at Paul. And maybe they were thinking in that sinful kind of way that it's so easy to do. Oh, I'm not the limelight anymore. Maybe I should try a bit harder to preach as well as Paul does. Maybe they were going for a sort of a, a sort of a damage the competition type approach. Trying to discredit him. Verse 17. Well, that's one motivation that Paul identified. Others were positively motivated because of their love for Christ. They loved Paul. Because they knew that everything Paul did, he did for the sake of Christ. We see that in verse 16. But I think what's really interesting is when we get to verse 18, and we see how Paul responds to this possible problem. Verse 18, what does it matter? The important thing is 
that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. See, God used events to further the spread of the gospel. God used all the tough stuff that happened to Paul to enable him to be a real ambassador for Christ. And now Paul is just simply making the point that whatever the motivation of true believers, what really matters is that they're faithfully proclaiming the gospel. Don't worry too much about why, says Paul. What matters is that they are. For Paul, that just throws him into this incredible rejoicing. Verse 18. You see, he has such a positive view of his situation, not because of the situation itself, but because of where he's looking. His gaze is fixed on Christ. He's bound in chains, yes. He's kept under close guard, yes. But the gospel is not chained. It's advancing. A little bit later on, um, sometime nearer to the end of his life, Paul said with unshakable confidence still in the gospel, he, he wrote these words to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. That's the point. If somebody wants to stop the gospel spreading, they can't. If they actively try to stop the gospel spreading, they can't. In fact, what God can do is turn their efforts right round, making them facilitators of the spread of the gospel. Friends, it's a real encouragement, isn't it? That even though perhaps statistically church attendance within Britain has been declining over the last years, the Christian church around the world is growing. In fact, I came across some research just last week that showed that the Christian church globally is growing faster than the global population. So take heart. The gospel is not chained. Now, just as we finish, um, I, I, really, I really want to be careful not to seem to be diminishing any of the difficulties that many of us are facing, because I know many of them are very real. But even when things are really hard, like they were for Paul, I wonder whether you can... Gaze on Christ, come to his feet, bow in adoration for all that he is and all that he has done and all that he is doing and ask him to help you to see where even in those difficulties there could be joy in Christ for you. How could you take Paul's example and just moment by moment look for Joy in Christ, even though stuff is weighing on you so deeply. It could be something so small 
and yet that little glimpse of the wonder of who Christ is and what the Lord Jesus has done for you and is doing for you brings you joy. Well, David had uh, that experience when he wrote Psalm 13, which I began with. And he finished with these words in Psalm 13. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. You see, Paul knew that same joy because through his hardship, the gospel was advancing. That's why he could say, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. But I need to stop there because that's for next week. Friends, let me share with you again a challenge for this week. Could you say, in all circumstances, even when things seem a mess, with confidence in Christ, live like Paul, rejoicing in the spread of the gospel. Let's pray. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Father God, I do pray that in this coming week, even today, you would enable us to find a place to rejoice in the goodness of the Lord Jesus. To rejoice in that sure knowledge that despite the chaos in the world around, the gospel is not changed, but is growing and advancing. Father, would you so fill our hearts with the joy of knowing the Lord Jesus, that our hearts overflow, that it just becomes part of our natural day to speak to others of our experience of the Lord Jesus. I pray it in his precious name. Amen. Thank you so much.